Good morning. This morning's scripture is from Matthew 4, verse 18 through 24, and John 7, verses 37 through 39. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering acute pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and called out in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He was speaking about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. For the Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus has not yet been glorified. The God of the universe, creator of the cosmos, the author of life itself, and the one who designed love, chose you. He loves you. What's it we just sang? And we couldn't stop singing it. But... This was not part of what I planned to start with. I just wanted to kind of sink in how massive and ridiculous that actually is. That he sees you in every form you've ever been, in every form you'll ever take, and yet says, I choose you, be my child, feel my love. That's what I hope comes out of everything that happens this morning that you would believe the God of the universe has his eyes on you. He's truly chosen you. Uh, With that, let's pray together. Father, we need your message. We need your word. God, get rid of all the fog in our minds. Get rid of all the deafness in our ears. Break through the hardness of our heart. And speak, speak clearly today. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, well, we are starting a new sermon series today that's going to go the entire month of March leading up to Holy Week, Palm Sunday and Easter. And it's an annual tradition around here to do it. It's about invitation. Uh, the title of it is You're Invited. And Just like anything that we do over and over and over again, 
it's going to take a partnership between you and me to make this fresh. That it doesn't just fall upon you as something rote and repetitive, but it falls upon you again as something of great and immense value. And the way that I believe that God wants to do that for us is to put the emphasis on what everyone has been invited into by God. That you're not just inviting someone else into something. You've already been invited into that thing. You've been invited to the party, so it's easy for you to go back and say, you've got to check out this party. And part of the reason we do it this time every year is because Easter is special. It's the day the world changed. And Easter is unique in that it's the easiest time to bring anyone to church. Easter egg hunts, phenomenal and chaotic and a blast. And then Easter itself has a unique joy. It has a unique power, a unique, unique light to it. And it's going to be something that everyone talks about. And it's going to be easy for you to then extend the invite and have more people say yes. But I want to start out today with something that I believe God wants to do in our church. Today, I think God wants to, uh, to heal. He wants to appear as a healer to you today. As we go through this message, as we go through this sermon specifically, I believe that the Spirit's going to wash over and heal religious obligation. That you don't walk in religious guilt of have-tos, but it becomes something that you feel free to actually walk in. But I also believe that he's going to wash over and heal church hurt. That there are environments where you and I have experienced pain and the church is no different. The church has let you down the way other relationships have let you down. And I think God just wants to heal you of it. He wants to release you from it so that you no longer have baggage around gathering inside of a space, talking about church, but that you can be freed from that. Because we need to be freed from that. Because when it comes to things like inviting people into anything, there's some things that are easy to invite people into and there's some things that are hard. Things that are easy are things like media and movies. Uh, This happened to us recently. Someone in this church said, you have to watch The Good Place. (laughs) Have you never seen The Good Place? It's on Netflix. You can binge it. And I'm like, well, is it like Modern Family or is it like This Is Us? Because if it's like This Is Us and it's super emo, I'm out. But if it's Modern Family and it's light, I'm in. And like, you'll, you'll like it. And they gave you just enough of the preview, and then we could not stop watching it. And I became a good place evangelist, at least for season one and season three. Like, you think you can skip over season two, save the time. And you and I, we do that. Anything that we taste and touch that we think is good, we blast it out. It could be the lotions that you use. It could be the drink you just had. You love it, and so then you proclaim it. These are just casual things that we enjoy. But then when it comes to things that genuinely change us, we're hesitant. These things of God and religion. And I say that and assume that's part of your life because it's a part of mine. I knew we were going to start this Year Invited sermon series, and I show up to WeWork on Monday morning, and there's a relationship I developed with one of the employees. Um, His name is Gustavo. And uh, over the last year, he's told me everything about his life. 
And every morning when I get there, I get there before everybody, get my coffee, and I'm downloading what's new, what's going on. And he asked me what I did, and I said, Pastor, and then I lost my first name, and I forever became Pastor. And I show up on Monday morning, and he says, Pastor, where's your church? And he's asking me this, and we're on the seventh floor of this building. I said, oh, it's on the 11th floor. We meet on the 11th floor on Sundays at 1030, and he goes, Pastor... I've told you all this, and you haven't invited me to your church. It's on the 11th floor of the building that I work in. (sighs) Yes, Gustavo. But who's your Gustavo? Who's the person that you know very clearly is an easy ask? And you don't have the benefit that I do of having church meet in the building that you work, but you have something better. You have your own story. You have your own story of what God means for you in your life and what he's done in your life. And that's way more powerful than you can take an elevator up four flights and come and join us on a Sunday morning. That's way better. It is easy to share the casual, but I want it to grow easy for you to share the deep change in your life. Because you have your own good news. That's what God calls you to share is your good news. See, when Jesus went around teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, when he talks about the gospel of the kingdom, that simply means the good news that people need, that there's a new ruler in life. There's something new that can happen in their life that hasn't happened before. And I just want to reframe evangelism for you. See, this is kind of our hang-up. We hear the word evangelism, and we have all kinds of stereotypes of the obligations that that's going to put onto us about what we need to say. And if I don't say it precisely, have I failed? And what theology do they need to download if, I have, if I'm going to present the gospel? And Jesus just says, share your good news of what I've done in your life. And so today's message is titled, The Gospel of the Kingdom, and I want it to become the gospel of your kingdom. Gospel, like I said, is a Greek word, which I discovered you like Greek words last week in the retreat. Um, It's evangelion, and it means good tidings. It's good news. It's the things that we hear that don't cause fear, but cause hope and joy and peace. It's news in that they are facts, it is reality, and it is good for everyone who hears it. And then the kingdom is that Jesus is king. He is ruler, and that you now have a new rule of life that you can follow. Because you and I all have a rule of life. We have a way of living every single day that we think will be good for us, that we think will lead to success that we think will lead to satisfaction, we think that will make us strong. And if we follow that rule of life, at the end of the day, we'll be able to rest and say, that was a good day, a rule of life. And Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of your souls, comes in and says, I design life. Let me tell you how to live it. Let me show you how it's done. Let me give you a new way of living that actually leads to success and satisfaction that can actually make you strong. It is the gospel of the kingdom. 
And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the components of the kingdom that you've been invited to experience and invited to taste so that you will refresh yourselves again so that when you go out to invite people, you know what you're actually inviting them into. That it's more than church. It's a kingdom. It's a new ruler. And today I want to look at two components of the gospel of the kingdom highlighted from these passages. The first component is that of belonging. Belonging. Jesus' words to Peter and to Andrew in the midst of their everyday work life was, come, follow me. As James and John with their dad Zebedee are trying to fix the family business, the words from Jesus are, follow me. And if you just search follow throughout the Gospels, you will see that Jesus constantly invites any and every single person and every type of person to follow, which means to join. He looks at anybody, no matter who they are and what they've done and what their life is marked on and says, you are welcome here. You're welcome here. He goes to Zacchaeus who would have never come to him, Jesus went to him. And he invited himself over. Pretty presumptuous. With the woman at the well, he was unafraid to break into an uncomfortable and awkward situation to call out the obvious of how she was an outcast, to call out her pain, because he wanted her to know that she belongs in spite of her pain. Because what the gospel of the kingdom is actually building to, it's a kingdom family, not an institutionalized church. That's what God was impressing upon me. The emphasis of these messages in the past, and that's fine, has been invite people to church on one Sunday. And it's important for people to gather here because the gathering of the people of God There's something special about it. It's unique. You can't give it up because there is a power that happens in the room that you can't get from a podcast, that you can't get from anything else. That is true. But for Jesus, the institutionalized church was not his end game. It was the path to the ultimate destination. And I I want you to hear me. I am not (laughs) anti-institution. My job is a pastor. (laughs) I'm not anti-church, and so I don't want you to hear me say that. I'm not anti-mainline churches. We chose to be non-denominational because we do want to break down anything that would prevent people from coming, no matter their religious or faith background, whether they believe in Jesus or not. We want to break down any other barriers or hindrances. We want people here. But it isn't just about the church. The church is a conduit to the kingdom. The church is the outpost and the place where the kingdom is meant to be built. And the way that God has kind of um, given me a picture of what this means is through the building that's being built right across the street. You can see the flag coming up because they just finally reached the top. That building has been being constructed for nine months. And nine months ago, I could see it from, my, from WeWork that it was just a blank, empty parking spot and then they started to dig and they started to build the building 
And the taller it got, the more and more floors were added to it. They started to add scaffolding to the building. And there's a major difference between scaffolding and the building. Scaffolding is meant to help the construction, to actually help the building reach its design. But none of us judge a building by the scaffolding, right? We judge it by what it looks like after it's done being built. Because eventually the scaffolding will come down. And so none of us look at the Jenga building and go, yeah, it's a really unique thing, but man, did you see the scaffolding on the way up? Like, can't even look at it anymore. The church is the scaffolding to the kingdom of God. And there are so many of us and many in the world that are judging the building, the kingdom, by the failures of the scaffolding in the church. And there will come a day when the church is no more and the kingdom reigns forevermore. And the scaffolding is meant to prop up this building. And for those of you who have been hurt by the church, that's really good news. And I want you to be healed and get your eyes off the scaffolding and onto the building and onto Jesus and onto his kingdom and not let the sins of the church and the sins of the religious be tied to and attached to the sins of God. Because while the church still has its spots, it still has blame that it carries with it in, term, in people's lives and carries with them forever. There is a pure and spotless one who sees her for what she is and delights in the church and the bride of Christ is what he calls it. He sees all her beauty, all her good, everything you love about it. And he sees the faults. And he's happy to wash over that church with his love so that one day she's pure and spotless and unnecessary because the kingdom comes in its fullness. But until that day, you and I will have to delineate between church and Jesus and make sure that we don't substitute one for the other. Only Jesus is worthy of your full affection and love. And I say this wanting you to love LMCC. I want you to say, like I heard some of you after the retreat say, I just love this church. (laughs) It's so great. It's so unique. I've never heard of a church doing these things. It's so beautiful how you want to serve your people and serve the city. I want you to say that over and over and over again. But I want you to love Jesus and his kingdom way more than you love this church. Because what will happen if you love LMCC as it is now is that when the kingdom starts to advance, and this family starts to change, you'll be disappointed because your eyes were fixed upon the church as it was instead of the kingdom that is coming. But when we love the king and we love the kingdom, we'll love every form this church takes. Because our family is going to grow. That's why we want to invite others in. Because one day, one time we were on the outside and invited in by the Lord Jesus. One day we were on the outside and someone invited us into this place. And so now we get to extend the favor. I've learned this personally, um, having a family. I'm an only child. And so I never had to prepare for younger siblings, by God's grace. (laughs) But I also didn't get to taste the beauty and the joy of a family growing. I loved it when it was Amber and I, 
first newlyweds. And then God gave us Eli. And it was awesome. And then as we got pregnant with Calvin, we had to prepare Eli to be a good big brother. To love and not destroy his brother. (laughs) And to welcome him into the family as the family grew. And then God gave us Maya, and we had to prepare the big brothers to be strong and fight off all the others that will one day love their sister. (laughs) And then after Maya, if you're anything like me, you're like, okay, we're good. I'm good. No more. Let's let the cousins have babies now. Like, that'll be more fun. And Amber's family is so big. And I've been in all these holidays, you know, and as an only child, you dream of having friends. I mean, other family. And (laughs) as we go to these holidays, one of the best times is when the cousins either have kids or they bring a new significant other into the mix because it enhances the family dynamic. Because that personality and that individual brings out something that the family was missing that we didn't even know was not there. That what we experienced as a nuclear family of growing and adding and our family becoming more phenomenal, we get to see with this extended family. And it's the same here. And when you're preparing for that second child, you know, and you got to go man-to-man defense... There's some growing pains. And if you add that third child and you move from man to man to zone, you got to adjust. And you got to make room for that. It's always worth it. And some of you are some older siblings that I just want to call you to be what LMCC was for you again. To return to that experience of preparing to welcome in those you don't know yet because you need them in their lives, in your life, just like they need yours, you and theirs, whatever that is. <laughs> the family's growing. And the only way that our family will grow in a very healthy way is as we fix ourselves on the king and the kingdom and get our eyes off the scaffolding. So be healed today of the religiosity of obligation. Be healed today of the pain that the church has brought to you. It is not Jesus. He is ready to release you from that so that you don't have any hindrances saying come to church, not merely because you love everything about this place, but because you know Jesus is here and his presence will come and his presence will meet them exactly where they are. Because belonging is only one component of the gospel of the kingdom. And the other aspect of the gospel of the kingdom is believing. It is belonging, and then it is believing. Peter and Andrew didn't get to hear what Jesus was going to teach before they heard, follow me. They were welcomed in before they were ever taught. But let's hone in on what were they actually taught about to believe. See, believing has kind of sunk into our brains as some intellectual assent, assigning off on a series of bullet point statements of what we believe about God and his word and the church and so on and so forth. That's not what believing was for them. 
Jesus demonstrated belief as the power of God being for you and everyone you experience and the power of God being in you. And he said, let me show you what I want you to believe by what I go and do. Because belief is followed by action or it is not belief. So let me show you what I mean. In verse 24 of Matthew chapter 4. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering acute pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. I chose that translation specifically because I love that it breaks out those suffering acute pain. Because you and I like to compare our pain and our suffering. You know, like, we're, we think we're having a bad day, and then we see somebody else, and we're like, they're really having a bad day. <laughs> this is minor. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. And so many of you have just said, it's just acute pain. It's just minor. It's just isolated. It's just a little thing. I can live with it. I'll be okay. I'll still be successful. I'll still feel strong around others. And Jesus is like, but Why? Don't you want to just be free of the acute pain as well as the large suffering? See, Jesus wants you to believe the truths about him, but he also wants you to experience the power within him. So he goes on in John chapter 7, and this is the second time he says this in the Gospel of John. He says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone needs satisfaction, If anyone is hungry for something better in this life and is tired of the way things are, Jesus says, come to me and drink. Because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. See, believing in the gospel of kingdom is believing that you are a carrier of the cure for everyone's current crisis, which is nice to have coronavirus as an example, right? The gospel of the kingdom says that King Jesus has the cure for everything that is ailing this world and everything that is ailing everyone you meet. And so today we need to reframe evangelism as simply God in you Meeting the needs of every person you meet, which releases you from this obligation. And it's been the thing that has reshaped evangelism for me. I am the most reluctant of evangelists, as Gustavo reminded me of this week. But it doesn't stop me from doing it. But for a decade, it did. In high school, I went out with a friend of mine to uh, cold call evangelism, as I like to call it. We went to Starbucks, introduced ourselves, and just started to have a conversation. And the way I was trained to do cold call evangelism was to ask a series of questions and challenge the person's thoughts so they would see their need for God. And then I sat down over coffee, and this guy starts drilling me with all these theological questions. And I'm a high schooler going, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And I think he saw my shoulders slowly drip in failure. 
And he said, man, I'm, I'm just testing you. I'm actually a pastor, and this is my wife. And he's like, I'm just testing you. And I was like, yeah, I'm about to test you. But it scarred me for evangelism. Because it was like, I never want to put myself in that situation ever again. And that's one of the things that hinders us, is that we don't believe that we know the right answers to every question. And we're afraid of what they're going to ask next. But if we reframe it and understand that what Jesus was doing was whatever the person needed in the moment, it was an answer for the momentary need. It's not you trying to convince them of their need for God. It's helping them see that God knows their need and can heal their need. You're just again a conduit pointing to the King of Kings who can heal their current crisis because you and I both know the current crisis will shift. The news cycle makes it sound like it's never going to shift. The news in our head says that this issue will never fade. And then it does. And the next one comes. And we need a king who rules and reigns over this life in so much power and so much ability that whatever crisis comes our way, he has a cure for it. And that's what the gospel is all about. It is a kingdom force, not some self-improvement plan. And I don't want them to be confused by what I'm saying. See, a self-improvement plan is you deciding your goals and what you want to get better at. And if Christ fits that, fantastic. If not, there's a self-help book that will do it. But it's not a self-improvement plan. It is a death and resurrection of you plan. Because Jesus came to demonstrate the power over life, and then he laid it down, death on a cross, so that the things that are causing all the pain, the things that really need to be cured, your sin, your rebellion against God, your disobedience could be forgiven and you could be freed from it. And in the resurrection, he said, nothing can stop me, not even death, which all of us fear and hate the most. And if he can conquer death, he can conquer all things. We are carriers of the cure, proclaimers of a gospel of a kingdom and a king, inviting people to belong and to believe that the power is for them, just as it was for you. You were invited to know peace that surpasses all circumstances, so that when the coworker is distressed, you can say, this is how God did it for me. You were invited to find victory over fear by casting your anxieties on God who cares for you so that you could look at your coworker and say, choose freedom over fear. And they could want it. And then you could point to Jesus who can give it. You were brought through that career high and low so that your family member who's about to face it next can hear from you how God comforted you and walked alongside of you and then led you to the next thing. You were invited to surrender your money to set people free from the spirit of mammon and how it can dominate through your generosity so that you could set people free from possessions and stuff and the obsession with security so they could actually be released to be who they are.
You were invited to believe in the power of the gospel of kingdom so that you could be a carrier of that power everywhere you go. That's the invitation. But every invitation requires an RSVP. And I hate RSVPs. I want to hedge my bets. In New York, they're like, hey, there's an event in June. I need you to RSVP for it now. And I'm like, I don't know what June's going to bring because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, and I want to hedge my bets because maybe there's a better invite. And many of us are hedging our bets with God. This is the invite, and we've clicked maybe. Maybe, as long as you don't tell me what to do down the line. Maybe if you're okay with me thinking this way. Maybe if I can keep doing this thing. It's not how RSVPs work. Eventually, it's yes or it's no. And there are two groups that I want to speak to now. But hear me, no one is off the hook for responding to the invitation. None of you are. The first group are those of you who need to RSVP to Jesus being king and to be in the kingdom for the first time. Or maybe it's rededication, however you want to call it. But you haven't been walking with God. You've heard plenty about his gospel. You've heard plenty about him being king. And today he is saying, say yes. Go all in. And he's simply saying, believe. Declare Jesus is who he said he was. I believe it in my mind and my heart, and now I'm going to profess it with my lips. That's all it takes. It's an easy RSVP. He's calling you today to say yes, to become a Christian, to own Jesus, to place your faith in him. But the second group, for those of you who've already made that commitment, this church is your home, Jesus is your king. He's calling you to say yes to be a carrier of his kingdom, to become a host for the party, to be the people that now extend the invite that was once extended to you. And I look at this as receiving a promotion at your company because most of you receive promotions because you are really good at what you were supposed to do as an employee. And so you were successful for a few quarters and you kept hitting those bigger and bigger targets and then they said, you should become a manager. You're like, I don't know, I'm feeling pretty successful here. (laughs) And you became a manager because the company wanted to reproduce you and other people. And the kingdom is the same. Jesus wants to reproduce what he's done in you and everyone you know. That's what happened with Peter and Andrew and James and John and Mary and everyone who chose to follow him in the first century, they were eventually able to say like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Belong on this journey with me as I seek to believe in the power of God. you now carry with you an invitation of belonging simply because you've experienced the power of believing. It's time 
to submit your RSVP. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming to live inside of anyone who believes in Jesus. And so, Spirit, come now. Be a well of living water rising up within those who you have called to yourself, who you have chosen who you love. Grant courage. Grant trust. Grant power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.